coaches, what is up? This is Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for the defensive line. And thank you for checking us out today on what is a big week for us high school coaches here in Texas. Today is the second day of coaching school, a huge coaching convention going on down in San Antonio, which is uh, sort of, I guess, like the unofficial kickoff to the to the football season down here for us. And, and really the unofficial kickoff of things are going back to normal for us uh, here in Texas. Of course, I'm down here sitting in on some awesome sessions and networking and talking some football and, and meeting guys who have been on the podcast. Oh, a big week for us Texas coaches and a big week for KYPD as we are hosting our coaches social tonight for our former guests who are here at coaching school and really any coach who wants to stop by and hang out. Uh, this is our way of saying thank you to those guys who tune in each week and who have come on as guests and uh, really made this podcast such a valuable resource for the rest of us. So uh, really looking forward to that tonight and hanging out with a bunch of, of, of awesome coaches. So uh, also for this episode of KYPD, we welcome on a head coach from the state of Texas with state championships on his resume and a ton of wisdom and knowledge to impart on us today. So a lot of great things to get juiced up about. And speaking of our coaches social that we have going on tonight, uh, our principal sponsor for that event happens to also be a sponsor for this podcast. And of course, I'm talking about our good friends at Go Edit Graphics. So Go Edit Graphics, what they do is they allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, the text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, just to name a few. The platform is so easy, uh, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. So if you're looking for a way to promote the awesome things going on in your athletic program, and you should be, then the team at Go Edit Graphics has got you covered. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. And here's something else that's cool. Mention keep your pads down and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. You can check them out on Twitter at Go Edit Graphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see the examples of the awesome graphics coaches have already created. You can also check out our Twitter feed for examples as many of our show's graphics were created using Go Edit as well. Showcase your athletes with custom graphics in minutes with Go Edit Graphics. Also, we are really proud to be partnering with our coaching network for this season of KYPD. Coaches, if you're looking for a way to gain some knowledge in all aspects of football, then you really should check out our coaching network. Our coaching network is a new football coaching platform connecting coaches from all levels and help them get better every week. Our coaching network has live clinics going off three to four nights a week. I'll have 150 plus hours of high quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. So get on over there today, create your account. It's very affordable, and you can cancel at any time, so there's no risk. Level up on your football knowledge and connect with some outstanding coaches from across the country today with our coaching network. Okay, so before I introduce you to our guest today, I want to let you guys in on something and be completely honest with you. Confession time here, all right? So 90% of the time when I bring on guests, it's because I think that I can learn something from them. So it's, it's, uh, it's completely selfish on my part. Like, um, take today's episode, for example. I, I I would like to be a head coach one day, like a lot of you guys would. So I would like to hear from guys like Coach Worrell, who we're talking to today, on what it takes to build a successful program, because he's done it. Uh, so I say that because I want to make sure that you guys know that, that you know, I'm here to learn just like you are. Um, and the point of this podcast is to bring you guys along with me and allow you to be a fly on the wall of sorts for these conversations and to learn and learn along beside me. Which brings me to today's episode with Coach Chad World, the new head football coach and athletic director at El Campo High School in El Campo, Texas, just southeast of Houston there, where he was hired earlier this offseason after spending seven years as the head coach at Brock High School, just outside of Fort Worth, where he started the football program there and led the Eagles to an undefeated state championship in 2015 and a state finalist finish in 2017 and finished with an overall record of 91-12 and 12 there at Brock. Coach Worrell started out his coaching career in Texas at Groveton High School, uh, where he helped the Indians to a state championship appearance in 1996. From there, he headed to Tom Bean High School, where he was a D.C., and then promoted to head coach, where he helped the Tomcats to their first ever district championship. From Tom Bean, Coach spent a season as a head coach at Hamlin, before heading to Salina as an assistant, where he helped guide the Bobcats to four straight state title games, winning two of those. And if you're familiar with, with Texas high school football at all, then you've probably heard of Salina. Uh, after Salina, Coach Worrell spent a season as the head coach at Great Creek in San Angelo before heading up to Brock High School, where he started the football program there and built the Eagles into a perennial power. 
Uh, this offseason, Coach Worrell was named the head coach and athletic director at El Campo High School, like I already referenced, and looks to create the same success with the Rice Birds that he had uh, at his previous stops. Today, Coach Worrell and I talk about his football coaching career and the things he's learned along the way. And then we get into his thoughts on what it takes to build a championship program, uh, what he looks for in coaches he hires onto his staff, how he grows and develops those coaches, uh, how he handles issues that are going to inevitably crop up uh, on his team and threaten the culture that he's built there. Uh, we talk about practice organization and, and, and a whole lot more. So a ton of great stuff in this one. So grab a pen and notebook and get ready to take some notes because episode number 114 with Coach Chad Worrell is coming at you right now. Coach Worrell, welcome to the podcast. Excited to be talking with you today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a, it's an honor. Well, yeah, Coach, it's it, it's likewise. And, uh, you know, with this week being uh, being coaching school in Texas, I thought it was only fitting that we talk to a, a head coach in the state of Texas and, and one that's enjoyed so much success. So uh, really uh, excited to be able to talk about building a program and, and you know, being a head coach in, in this state, which is, uh, not an easy job. So let's let's dive right in. And we always start off our, our conversations here by just talking about the coach's uh, football journey and them kind of telling us how they got to this point in their career. So fill in the gaps for us. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and, and how you got to El Campo. Well, you know, this is my 26th year to, to coach. Uh, 27th, actually, we'll be starting. I coached one year in Oklahoma uh, as a student assistant. I went to school at Southeastern Oklahoma in Durant and uh, stayed there and, and did a year of student assistant there uh, in a small school. And then I came to Texas. Uh, I spent my first year's assistant at Groveton uh, over in East Texas. And uh, right in Indians, that's right in my neck of yeah. the woods. Yeah, and uh, worked for Don Hill. I worked on a great staff there. Uh, Jim Bird was the defense coordinator who had won state championship at China Spring. Of course, Don Hill was a, a – coordinator and a head coach on the state championship teams in 89 and 90 at Groveton and uh, under Scott Phillips. And, and man, just so much knowledge. Steve, Steve Pierce was our OC, and we just had so much knowledge on that staff as a young first-year coach. Uh, I was just so blessed with that opportunity to be on that staff and be a part of that. And, uh, man, I loved it there. We went, we were state finalists in 96, uh, lost the state championship game to Iran, uh, and I had the opportunity then to get closer to home or closer to my hometown of Pilot Point. Uh, took a defense coordinator job, uh, Tom Bean. And stayed in Tom Bean for seven years. I was there four years as a de- or three years as a defense coordinator. And our head coach left, went into administration, and uh, was offered the head coaching job at 28. And and you know, man, so much in this this profession. Anybody that's been in it for for a long time knows it's just about timing. And, and being in the right place at the right time, the right situation, and and being in time, being then, you know, at 28, I didn't know what the heck I was doing as a head coach and athletic director, and 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 you know, went into it, jumped in with both feet. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have some really good kids, and and kind of got that program turned around there at Tom Bean, and and won a, a two district championships, which were the, you know, first two, first and only two uh, district championships in, in school history. And waited to the quarterfinals in, in 2002, and and had a good playoff run for a couple of years, and then I left and uh, t- I took the head coaching job at Hamlin. Uh, so I went uh, to another part of Texas, went to West Texas for a year, and man, we had a great year that year at Hamlin. It, it was a learning experience, but so so many good people in Hamlin, following such a long line of of coaches, of Art Briles and. Uh, Steve Freeman and, and so just some great head coaches uh, who had been through that program and and feeling honored to be a part of the Pied Piper program and, and probably would have stayed there for for a long time, uh, but my father passed away and uh, unexpectedly during that year and and so as the year came to an end, uh, man, I really was being led to get back closer to my mother. She still lived in Pilot Point at the time, and uh, so I, I you know me and my wife prayed about it and we decided to. Uh, to, you know, try to get closer. And I looked at some head coaching jobs and then out of the blue, Butch Ford called me at Salina, the head coach at Salina and said, uh, 
uh, you know, he knew my situation with my, with my dad and, and he just said, man, I've got a coaching spot for you. And, you know, uh, really want, think you should be here in Salina. That's where I believe you should be. And, and that's where I went. You know, I went to Salina for five years and, and got out of head coaching, and really got back into, you know, coaching the sub varsity levels. The first year I coached junior high and varsity as well, linebackers. And then, uh, from then on, just kind of followed my son up through his high school career. Both of my kids graduated from Salina. We were fortunate enough to have a really good run there from 2005 to 2009. Uh, we played in four state title games in a row, won two and lost two. And, uh, you know, just really gained a lot of good experience going back and being assistant after I'd been a head coach at a young age. And, and then uh, once my son graduated, um, decided to uh, – to get back into head coaching and, and looked around and interviewed and, and ended up going to Grape Creek in San Angelo for one year. And then the Brock job opened up and, and was fortunate enough to, to be able to start that program. It's kind of a, uh, kind of a dream of mine, really, honestly, when I was young about starting a program from scratch and, uh, you know, and, and was able to go in there and spent the last 10 years at Brock before coming to El Campo. So. Well, coach, that is a, just a remarkable uh, coaching career up to this point. I know you're, you're, you're far from being done, but uh, when I just look at that list of schools, you know, Groton, uh, as, as you kind of already alluded, uh, when I was a kid growing up, I grew up in Huntsville, uh, you know, Groton was, was a powerhouse. You know, it was a, that was one of those schools where uh, even be in a Hunts, being in Huntsville, a bigger, a bigger town, bigger school, you knew Groton was, was really, really solid. Uh, obviously, the success you had at Tom Bean, Hamlin, uh, there is, is, has been in, been in state championship games, uh, recently. Uh, and then of course, Salina, everybody knows Salina, which is just synonymous with, with, with smaller school, high school football in the state of Texas. Uh, and then of course, of course, Brock, which you guys, uh, were able to, to turn into a football power as well. So w when you're looking back on that career, uh, I know you, you, you mentioned some coaches who, who you worked for and things like that who were some of your influences that you really leaned on as you kind of worked your way through the coaching ranks? Well, you know, I think it started when I was a kid at Pilot Point. Uh, Coach G.A. Moore uh, was running the Pilot Point program then, and I grew up as a, as a kid, as a water boy uh, on the 81 state championship team and, and was on the sidelines for a lot of, a lot of really good teams and, and was kind of hooked at an early age. And then uh, Jerry Jones came in uh, Pilot Point after Coach Moore left and, you know, Jerry and, and Lenny Gray was, was our offensive line coach and offensive coordinator there at Pilot Point. And, uh, you know, Jerry's one of the people I'll never forget, you know, him telling me a story about, uh, you know, he started the program at Maple and uh, started the varsity football program at Maple before he came to Pilot Point. And I remember even as a high school kid, you know, at a young age, I remember him telling me, you know, that of all – you know, all of his years coaching, he spent time at Salina and he'd spent time at Maypearl. And he said, and then, of course, Pilot Point, we'd had a lot of success there with him. And, and I just remember him saying that one of the most gratifying things he'd ever done was start that program at Maypearl, you know, from the beginning. And that always kind of stuck with me at an early age. And, and so those, those guys definitely had a huge impact on me uh, going into coaching and, and then an impact on me. I feel like I st I've stolen and borrowed from, from them. Uh, from Coach Moore, from Coach Jones, from Coach Gray, and then, of course, Butch Ford at Salina, uh, Coach Don Hill at, at Groveton. I mean, I've kind of, you know, borrowed from everyone I've been around and 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 kind of still still do to this day. I mean, that's what coaching's about. It's about sharing ideas and, and picking people's brains and picking up on things that, that fit your program, fit your, you know, personality to be able to pass along to, to the kids that, coach, that you coach. What's the uh, the best advice that you ever – you ever got as a coach? You know, it's the same thing that you know, the best advice I ever probably got as a coach is the same. And, and I know it's kind of cliche, but it's still what I talk to people about in interviews all the time is, you know, be willing to work hard and be loyal uh, and, uh, and not having an ego. And, 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 you know, that if you can do that, we really don't care as, as head coaches, most head coaches don't care how much you know or what system, you know, you know, I feel like if a, if a person uh, myself included, is, you know, considers themselves to be a, a spread guy or a wing tee guy or whatever. It doesn't matter. If you're, if you're a coach, you can go coach anything. 
and you can be good at it. You can go from receivers to offensive line to linebackers on defense, switch sides of the ball. You're going to be a successful coach, you know, if you work hard and you're loyal to the people that you work for. Well, let's talk now. You, you talked about, you know, how you you got a head coach, your first head coaching job at 28, and then uh, there at Tom Bean, and then you uh, started a program at, at Brock. And and you know, for a lot of us who maybe grew up in Texas, you know, Brock has always been a basketball school. Uh, you know, this seems like they're in the state tournament every year, uh, and 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 um, uh, you know, basketball, baseball, and, and and now for you guys to be able to be to to, to be to to have that same success uh, in football. When, when you're building a program, um, and, and, and this can be for when you started at Tom Bean or when you started at Brock, how did, how, walk us through like that process that you go about. When, you know, what does it take to set your culture uh, you know, and, and really create that buy-in with your new team, your existing staff, those guys who are holdovers from previous staffs, your administration, your community, et cetera? How do you go about doing that? What are the steps that you do you know, day one you hit the ground running uh, at your new job? You know, I think the first thing is just is just create excitement, you know, that you're bringing something to the table that the kids, the community, and the, the parents have, haven't been able to experience. You know, if you come in with the same old routine that's been going on forever, there's not going to be that excitement. So I think the first thing you need to do is create a buzz, you know, amongst your program. And, you know, then I, after that, I think uh, the, the most important thing there is getting the parents and the players both to buy into what your philosophy is. Uh, to sell it and to, to feel the need to go out and explain and promote your program and, and not only tell them you know, what you're doing, but why you're doing those things. You know, I always tell kids all the time that we're not going to give you any job to do that we don't have a reason behind giving you that job. We're trying to make you better. And I think it's important for the parents and the kids and the community to understand your program. I think sometimes as coaches, we, we really uh, kind of put a blanket around our 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 field house or our coach's office or whatever, and, and really feel like we don't want to let anyone in behind the curtain. Uh, but I think it's important for the community and the, and, the, and the athletes to understand the big picture and understand why you're doing what you're doing to be able to uh, buy into that. So when you were starting out, I mean, again, first time head coach at the age of 28 uh, and then starting the program at Brock, how did you know, you know, what, here, okay, here's what I'm going to, here's what our program is going to be about. You know, here's what we're going to do. Here's what, uh, here's what we're going to stand for. Like, how did how did you get those those things in place? How did you establish yourself and and establish that culture? Uh, being a first time head coach, you know, it's a lot of trial and error back then. I mean, honestly, that was that was in 2000. Uh, that was before Twitter and Facebook and uh, social media had taken off, and and you really had to go to clinics and you had to go to coaching school and you had to. Uh, visit go face to face with other coaches or reading books in order to to sort sort of develop your culture and that was way before the term uh, culture was even uh, popularized popularized i guess in uh in the coaching world and and there's a lot of when i was 28 there was a lot of trial and errors that we we, we did a lot of things i did a lot of things that, that 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 i learned from failure you know we were four and six that first year uh that i took over and uh and that, and that was an improvement on the previous year. And we, we kind of felt like we had won pretty much all the games that we had a chance to win that year in football. Uh, and then the second year, we went two and eight. Got, got hit by injuries, got away from what we were doing. And probably the biggest learning point of my, of my coaching career came in 2001 because we had gotten away from your, my belief system. We'd gotten away offensively and defensively, away from what, I believed in and what I was comfortable coaching and what I, what my, my philosophy was. And so, you know, we went out and I, uh, had a, had a pretty big coaching, uh, turnover that year. I surrounded myself with people that had the same vision as I did offensively and defensively. And, uh, and we just, at the same time, it, it happened that we had good kids coming through as well. Talented kids uh, there in Tom Bean and, and all that stuff clicked at the right time. And we went from two and eight in 2001 to 11 and two uh, in 2003 in the state quarterfinals and lost, you know, in the last minute or two of the game to Baines, uh, who was, you know, eventual state finalist. But, uh, and then the next year we, we went 11 and 0 before losing to a really good Italy team. So we won back to back district championships, won the only playoff games in Tom Bean history in those two years. But it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight and it, it came because of a lot of failure. 
because at a young age, you know, what I thought I was doing to help the, the program and team head in the right direction, I I made a lot of mistakes in, in order to get to that that staff and that group of kids and, and that spring that we spent getting ready for that 2002 season. So. Well, you mentioned there that that you had a lot of uh, staff turnover that year and you surrounded yourself with guys who were like-minded and had kind of had the same uh, philosophy as you. You already talked about, you know, when you do interview someone that it's less about their football knowledge and more about their loyalty and their ability to work hard. When, when you're interviewing guys for your staff, what are some other qualities or characteristics that you're looking for in potential coaches that you want to add to your staff? You know, we talked about, just like you said, we talked about loyalty and, and hard work. Uh, you know, being able to buy into and being a kid magnet, you know, that's the word that gets tossed around these days. And, you know, you want people who kids will play hard for. You know, that's one thing that I learned uh, a lot from Coach Moore. You know, I always felt like and, and listened to him. And, I, you know, I think one of the best things, and of course, he's a Hall of Fame coach and, you know, over 400 wins in his career and, and all that. And I still felt, felt like um, that the biggest compliment that, that anyone ever gave Coach Moore was is he could – kids played hard for him. And the average kids – I mean, the great kids are going to be great. The good kids got better. But the average average kids, he really rose rose up and those kids played hard for him. And so the reason that is is because before Coach Moore even knew the word what culture was in the coaching world, he was developing culture in his program that, that made kids want to play for him and his staff. And so we want we want to hire people who are kid magnets. Uh, they don't have to be the kids' best friends. Some of, some of the, the coaches that I've had work for me over the years that kids played the hardest for were the hardest on kids and expected the most out of kids. Uh, and so we're looking for people that have that that attitude of wanting to come in and, and love on kids and and you know be the disciplinarian when it's time to be disciplinarian. Uh, demand demand perfection and get everything, every ounce of, of talent that they have and effort out of them. At the same time, you know, building a relationship that kid, relationship, a relationship with that kid that lasts a lifetime. I've, I've talked to some, some coaches on this podcast before who have gone into uh, brand new schools and they're opening up a brand new school and, and all that goes into that. So walk us through that process for what that was like at Brock and you know, how you go about building something you know, from scratch when you don't have any tradition to lean on or anything like that, you know, how did you go about doing that? And what were some things that you did that you felt like were really, really crucial and important for y'all to enjoy the later, the success that you did later on? You know, obviously the Brock situation was a, a unique situation because they did not have a football program. And so that first year when we went in, uh, the parents who had, of those junior high kids had fought so hard and a lot of people in the community had fought so hard to have that football program for years and uh and so when we went in there there was there were no traditions there were there, you know little things that you don't even think about uh there wasn't a fight song because nobody plays a fight song at basketball and baseball games and so they didn't even have a fight song so it was, they didn't have a drill team uh you know there was no drill team there there was the boys track program because of not having football was you know just a honestly they would had enough kids probably take them on a bus, you know, because it was just basically your distance kids. And, and so the situation there was a little bit different because everybody was a buzz coming in and we just used that to build on that junior high program. You know, one thing that, that, that I always wanted to do in Brock was, is I did, I wanted to respect the traditions that were there before football and the traditions that were there were excellent. I mean, they had won state championships in boys and girls basketball and baseball and softball and volleyball. And, uh, had several athletes, you know, gold medal at the, at the track meet on the girls' side. And so, you know, I respected those traditions and didn't didn't try to overshadow them at all and just kind of took our place in line to, you know, to, to wait our turn to get up there. And, and we talked to our kids daily. You know, we took our kids. So we didn't have any bad habits, Coach, to break. You know, sometimes when you go into a school that hasn't won much or that has had more of a tradition of, of, of mediocrity or, or even losing, You've got to battle that. Well, Brock, we didn't have to battle that. We just didn't have any tradition at all to fall back on. You know, I remember Brock asking the junior high kids the first year I was there, uh, first or second week of school, you know, how many of you kids have seen a Friday night football game? 
And about five kids raised their hands. We had about, at that time, we were probably sitting at around 50 to 60 junior high kids total. And about five kids raised their hands. So, man, we loaded them up uh, on, a, on a bus on a Friday night. All, every junior high player we had, we went to uh, Eastland and Godley. It was a two top ten teams. It was a huge, huge game played in Eastland that night. And we took them to Mary's uh, Steakhouse and they had chicken fried steaks with a bunch of junior high kids and, and took them to that game and all sat together and watched that, that atmosphere that was there that night. And, you know, I look back on that now and, and just think, man, how much of an impact. The kids have always talked about going to that first game. That was some of their first – uh, Friday night football that they had ever seen and experienced. And and so we did that. And then once we got into the high school and started playing varsity, that base was kind of set. One thing we did in, in Brock that I'm a huge believer in now is, you know, we created a, a mentorship program with our community. And so we had a quarterback club uh, established and we had a uh, one, one, you know, one man assigned to one kid on the team. And, and I didn't, we didn't match them up. I always, I, I got this from Salina, but I always, uh, I matched the kid up with the, with the parent or with the, with the community member. They weren't all parents. Some of them didn't have kids in the program. Some of our quarterback club members had all, had all daughters and they were still in the quarterback club wanting to mentor one of our players. And we, we matched them up accordingly. And then uh, spent, they spent the whole year, you know, texting that kid, uh, sending them, uh, putting letters in the locker room on Friday nights and building relationships with them beyond just, you know, tell them good job after a football game. And, and I saw the magic that worked in Salina with that. And that's something I brought to Brock. And one thing that I credit uh, happening in Brock was that mentorship program that we developed. That, that is a, 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 a great idea. We talk about it all the time, and, and I know it's come up in our own program, uh, you know, how do you, how do you develop leaders within your program, especially like you're talking about at Brock where, you know, those kids don't have seniors to look up to necessarily those, 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 that first wave of kids coming through, that there's not necessarily a whole lot of guys that they can look at, you know, upperclassmen to look at. But now when you pair them up with someone like that, uh, it, you know, it gives them um, a, a strong male figure in their lives to, to talk to and to sort of see as a, uh, as another mentor figure. So that's a great idea. Uh, so going back to that, a point that I already kind of brought up, how do you or how did you or how have you built leaders uh, within your program and, and basically empowered them, empowered the kids on your team to, to emerge as leaders and sort of be the, the banner carriers for your culture? When I go into a new school, I put a, I put a leadership council together uh, off the bat, and I use uh, the coaches who are there or the administrators who are there to kind of pick that that group of kids. I don't ever put a, a, a direct number on it, like we're going to have six or eight. Could be six, could be ten. And we want a, 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 we want a good uh, sample of, of the, the population on the team. We want skilled players and linemen. We want kids from different backgrounds. And then we spend time as a leadership council together, and we talk about, you know, the things that, that it takes to be good leaders and how difficult and how tough it is to be a leader. Everybody wants to be the leader until it's time to make those tough decisions uh, to do the right thing. And sometimes that's not the popular thing. And so we, we talk about, you know, tools, essential tools and characteristics of leaders and specific situations. And then we hopefully they carry that back to their team. We also give as a cap, I, we still elect captains in the fall. And that's, that's a, that's a team-led exercise, and I know some of that's went by the wayside, but I still believe that coaches, we as coaches or teachers or administrators, we can't pick the leaders. If we could, our job would be a lot easier. You know, if we could make, if we could pick six guys out or five or six guys and say, I want these guys to be the leaders of this team because they're the best in the classroom. They've got the best work ethic. They're the best, you know, they the, have the best manners. They're the best athletes. All those things combined would be our what we consider our best leaders. Unfortunately, we don't get to pick who the leaders of that team are. That team picks who their leaders are. And so, you know, I always tell kids you can lead in a positive way and you can also lead in a negative way. And so we talk about the differences there. And, and what you do is you hope that by the time it comes time for those kids to select their captains or their leaders that you've you've instilled your culture enough to know for them to know who to pick is what you're hoping. And then once they get that, we get those, those captains uh, during the fall 
they get say so in our uniforms. They get say so in, you know, different things that we do out do throughout the season that that I need players input on instead of going to the entire team. I go to the to the to the captains and the leadership council, and and we we visit through there and walk ourselves through. And if something's going bad, uh, you know, I visit with them. I mean, if, if it's not going well, I visit with them and and make them understand why, you know, why we stayed out side hitting the sled for 20 extra minutes on Tuesday. You know, we didn't do that as punishment. We didn't do that for whatever reason, but we did that to, to make us better, to, to get, get us over the hump in this situation. So, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully the kids, you you instill your culture to where, where your team elects the right people to be their captains. And usually that's the case that works out. But I still go back to, you know, as much as we want to, pick those captains as coaches sometimes you still got to let the kids have say so in that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've always talked about, you know, building a, a culture uh, and this is coming from a, a, someone who's never been a head coach before, but building a culture is a lot like starting a garden. It's a lot of hard work up front. You, you just gotta, it's, there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into it. And then once you get that thing rolling, the work's not over. You still, it's a constant like maintenance uh, you know, you're pulling weeds, you're watering it, you're, you're making sure there's enough sun. And it's just a constant, like you can't just let it go. Like it, you don't get it set and then just go, okay, that's it. And walk away from it. It's a constant daily, uh, takes, takes constant daily tending to it. So once you get your, your culture sort of set and it's, and it's going the way that, that the way that you want it, how do you handle those, those inevitable bumps in the road that you experience with maybe kids who uh, do some things that maybe go against that culture how do you handle those those moments? You know, I think each situation is handled differently. And I, I don't know that there's a, a book to, uh, you know, I don't know that there's a there's a, a book you read that's a plan for each scenario that you ever face as, as a coach of a team. You have to face each scenario different and kind of assess, you know, assess each each student that's having a problem or maybe the culture in general is, is, is going one way or the other. And then I think you address it with the leaders of the team, whether it be your captains or your leadership council. And, and you have to, you know, in a small group setting, make them understand why this is important. And then it trickles down to the, you know, rest of kids. But one, one of the first things I tell our leadership council kids uh, when I go into a school and I set that is that, you know, you better be ready to be coached harder than anybody else on the team. Because the worst thing you can do to run a culture is to take it easy on the on the kids who are your leadership kids or your or your or your uh, you know or your captains or your star players. I mean, those kids need to be able to be coached the hardest. And when those younger kids see those other kids being coached hard and loved hard, then then they're a lot more apt to accept that style of coaching versus you know going in and making you know being friends with them. And not coaching them as hard, and then the the kids, the second string kids, or the you know whatever, seeing the way that you treat the starters, uh, and you're harder on the second team kid than you are the first team kid, uh, can create a culture to go in a different direction. How do you develop the coaches on your staff? Because, like you said, you you're you're going to get some guys who maybe, uh, or maybe they're young, maybe they uh, haven't been. Uh, in a lot of successful programs, or maybe they just have a different style than, than you know, what you're used to. How do you develop those coaches on your staff and grow them to, to be, you know, to, to, to share ultimately the same vision, maybe not the same style and not, you know, they don't, they're not, you know, yes men or, you know, they're, they're their own people, but how do you grow and develop those, those coaches on your own staff? Well, and, and yeah, I'm going to touch on what you said, because you don't want all the same style coaches on staff. You want different styles. Uh, there's different ways to reach different kids. And, and if the kids see the same coach, you know, everybody trying to be uh, following one way of, of one one mold of coach and that style, then I want different styles. I want that coach on staff that can, you know, go out and joke with the kids and have fun and have a good time with them and then turn it on when it's time to coach. I want that coach on the staff that want, there's a place on that coach, you know, staff, that coach, that weight room coach that, you know, doesn't take no for an answer and won't take less than 100%. If you're asking on parallel squat, they're not going to, you know, let them get by with a 90% squat. You know, they're going to demand that. And, and, you know, I think that that the coaches need to understand what the what the finish line or what the what you envision the finish line. I don't know if you ever reach the finish line as a culture in your program, but what you kind of envision the future looking like 
because you said it's ever, it's always evolving. You know, your culture is always evolving. It's getting worse or it's getting better every day. It's never staying the same. And so, you know, making those coaches aware of where you want this to go and why you want it to go this way. You know, we've had a lot of meetings here in El Campo uh, just recently putting the staff together. I mean, even as late as, you know, late June, uh, three weeks ago, we were still putting our, our varsity, our high school staff together. And so we've been having meetings, you know, just so so they can see our vision and what we want to do and, and what we want to be. I mean, what do we want to be known for? Uh, do we want to be known as a, you know, uh, uh, a physical team, that a tough team, a mentally tough team? Um, that's that's the direction we want to go, and here's how we have to establish that to get there. Well, th- that was that was a, a question I was going to ask, and and this is a question we asked of our kids uh, th- this off season. We were kind of deciding what sort of team we wanted to be, and so I'll ask it to you now, even though you already kind of touched on it. Uh, when, when when members of the community or uh, other kids in the school or even your opponents see your football team, your football program, what is it that you hope that they see? You know, I hope that I think the biggest compliment is that your kids play hard. You know, when coaches have told me in the past, uh, opposing coaches, man, you know, it doesn't matter what you guys lost last year or return, uh, your kids play hard when they take the field. You know, I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can get from an opposing coach or an opposing you know, player or, or community member. Um, I want not only our kids to play hard, but I want them to play the game the right way. You know, we're still old school here uh, on this staff and here in El Campo. And I still t- teach the kids, even this day of COVID and <laughs> everything else, that, you know, we're going to knock people on their on their tail and then we're going to help them up, pat them on the butt, you know, uh, on the way back to the huddle. I mean, uh, you know, not that, uh, you know, I was – I was watching a movie just yesterday. It's one. It's a great movie. It's you know, it's a uh, American Gangster with Denzel Washington. Yeah. And uh, and man, I mean, it's not you know, it's not something you'd show in class, but it's a good movie. And and I've seen that movie twenty times. And then yesterday it hit me whenever he tells he's talking to his brother and he's telling him the loudest one in the room is the weakest one in the room. And that stuck with me. And you know, and, and I believe that. I believe that the people who chirp on the field are sometimes the weakest. I mean. You know, we want to let the scoreboard do the talking for us in the end. And we want to be mentally tough and we want to win the fourth quarter and we want to do all those things. And we we develop everything that we do in the spring or in the off season, spring and summer, into trying to achieve those things, playing hard for four quarters, playing the game the right way, and being able to finish. You mentioned meeting with your coaches this summer as you try to get uh, you know, everyone on the same page as far as what you expect out of them and and, and what you want your culture to look like, your team to look like. How often are you meeting with your staff uh, right now in the offseason and then also in season uh, to kind of make sure that you're having those little checks and, you know, hey, make sure we got this going on and this going on. You know, some coaches meet with their staff daily, some a couple times a week, some hardly ever. Uh, where do you fall in that? And, and, and you know, when you do meet, what's the, the, the purpose of those meetings that, you know, that you see? Well, during the during the season, you know, I would almost say we meet daily because, you know, we we I try to promote the type of atmosphere in the coach's office where we can sit around after practice when the kids leave and visit for 10 or 15 minutes informally about that practice, about what we want to put on the next day's practice schedule, what was good, what was bad. I don't demand our coaches watch every practice film of every second. Our line coaches a lot of times will. Our secondary coaches a lot of times will. Um our, our receivers coach will on their own, but we don't sit around for an hour after practice watching film every day. We film those practices. I figure they can go home, have family time with their kids, watch film before they go to bed or get up the next morning if you're an early morning person. So I would say we meet to an extent daily in an informal setting, but then we're going to meet on Saturdays uh, at the end of, of our work day on Saturday. And we're going to talk about, you know, not only who we're playing next week, what the game plans are, but also we're going to talk about what we need to improve on ourselves and from, from Friday night's game. Now, that, that's a bigger part for me than who we're playing and what we're going to do is what did we do wrong that we want to be better at next week, and, and let's, let's focus on both of those aspects. And, so, and then um, after that Saturday meeting, you know, it's Sunday's kind of work on your own for the most part. Uh, and then uh, we'll usually meet Monday morning before we start the week off to make sure we're all on the same page. Out of season, uh, you know, spring is such as 
the smaller schools you get to, there's things going on every day. I mean, you've got soccer and you've got uh, golf and tennis and track and baseball going on. And and so kids and powerlifting, you got kids going somewhere just about every day. And it's hard to get your coaching staff together, especially at a smaller school. But, you know, with a new staff, uh, whenever you're putting a new staff together, we meet, you know, pretty much two, three times a week in the mornings and to, to talk about the direction that this program is going in and, uh, you know, to, to talk about the culture and talk about the things we're going to do to achieve that. Let's, let's switch gears now. And I, and I want to ask you about uh, or your, your practice organization a little bit. You know, you've been, you've, you're, you're a veteran coach of smaller schools and, and where, where a lot of times you do have to share players on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're now at a, at a 4A school there at El Campo. And I'm just curious, how did you guys handle that at Brock? And how are you going to handle it at, at El Campo as far as uh, are you going to play guys both ways? Are you going to try to two platoon things? You know, how do you organize your practices? Are they split? You know, do you have different offensive days, defensive days? How do you, how do you organize all of that? Well, uh, we switched about four years ago at Brock, and it was a good switch for us. We, we were still up to about four years ago. We were still coaching both sides of the ball. And, and you would have a – basically, you know, you'd have a position on one side or the other that was your main position, like our offensive line coach. He, that was his position. But then on defense, he was probably helping out the defensive tackles coach or the defensive ends coach. So, yeah. He had a secondary position on on the on the opposite side of the ball. Um, as our staff grew and grew, not only grew in numbers but grew in, in quality. You know, we went to coaching one side of the ball, and we would uh, rotate our practices around to where you know the varsity and the JV would be uh, on one side of the ball uh, for half a practice, and the freshman would be on the other side, and then we would just flip. And of course, there were days whenever offense would go a little longer, we'd put them at the end of practice, allow them. You know, offense coaches always want more time. And so, you know, we would put them over on the, on the end of practice so that the varsity and JV could spend a little bit more time on offense. We, we taught the kids in Brock both sides of the ball. They, 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 they learned both sides of the ball. We tried to, to platoon as much as possible, but I, my philosophy was never we were going to platoon to the point of hurting us. And so, especially early in the season, we'd be a lot more to platoon. And then as the weather cooled off and the kids got in better shape, they would start to show up more and more on the other side of the ball with your playmakers. And, you know, when you got down the road, you know, your playmakers are playing a little bit more both ways. Uh, learned a lot from Coach Butch Ford at Salina on uh, managing the players. You know, we were a 3A school, 4A. It was 3A then, what would be 4A now. Uh, you know, we would have 130 kids out for football, and we would carry 40 – kids on varsity and he was always very adamant early on about platooning those kids because you couldn't play a game both sides of the ball and it's 100 degrees in September August September but then as the season went on starting to get those kids more on the field a little bit more and that's what we'll that's what we'll continue to do here we'll learn uh, both sides of the ball uh, and then uh, you know we I'm not going to go into our staff and say we're two platoon and nobody can go both ways what I will say is you know, where is this kid more important to us? On the, at offensive guard or defensive tackle? And if it's offensive guard, then he's going to play every play over here and then maybe get one every third series on defense. Or if it's third and three, get that play. If we can get him in there. And so, you know, not going to flute two platoon to the point where it affects our performance on the field. But, you know, the more kids you play, the more kids that are having fun and involved, buying into that team concept, uh, definitely helps that part of your culture obviously the more people who play the happier the people are I had a JV team one time when I was just an assistant I was an assistant coach at Tom Bean we ended the year because of injuries and, and whatnot we ended that season with 14 players on our JV team and we had a good bunch and I always say man that was the happiest team I ever coached you know I had 14 kids they all got to play you know and so no parent complaints we had no parent complaints we had no you know kid complaints we were winning everybody was playing but you know it's a lot of that holds true that that if you can involve the more people you can involve on both sides of the ball and special teams and everything else the more they feel like they're a part of the team uh and and the better that it is to build that culture early on in the season you talked about how you do you do try to two platoon those guys as much as you can and then uh, you know until later on in the season when they when they're uh, they've acclimated enough to be able to play both sides of the ball. So does that mean you still you still flip your practices like you would normally do uh, anyway, or do you change it up to where they're, uh, you know, maybe 
you you kind of keep those guys on one side. How, how do you how do you do that? No, we still flip them. They're still learning that position from day one. So you know, let's you know just take an example of Ruben Owens. You know, he's a running back that we have that you know has pretty much everybody in the country has offered him uh, running back. Well, Ruben's going to obviously be playing his running back spot, and when he goes to defense, he's going to be playing a secondary spot. He won't probably play much defense early on in the season next year or this coming year uh, on defense, but he's going to have been practicing that every day. And so when it is time to call on him to go in and lock down, play lockdown corner against a good receiver or do whatever, he's going to be prepared. For so we're still going to practice as if they're going to play those positions. Uh, my, I want to be prepared for the worst. You know, we, we try to prepare for the worst case scenario. So my, my biggest fear would be going into a game, the kid not having much practice time at center. And then all of a sudden your third team center, you got, you got to call on him in a big game and he's not ready because he didn't, you know, he's been practicing defensive tackle all week. So we're going to keep that, keep that pretty close to 50, 50. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and honestly, that's, that's something uh, that, that we're working through as well. And always, always looking at and tinkering with and, and, uh, and, you know, trying to be as as efficient with that as possible. So um, now that you know, let, let's talk now about about El, El Campo. You mentioned you're, you're running back there. Uh, you guys have a lot of a lot of reason for optimism there. Uh, just talk to us real quick about sort of the outlook for this this upcoming season. Uh, some things that that you've already put in place there at El Campo, and and really just sort of a a uh, um, an outlook for the 2021 season for the Ricebirds. Well, I mean, we we've got a lot of good returning players. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the previous staff have done a really good job in, in the weight room. And, and we've got – our kids are strong, you know, pound for pound. And, and a lot of experience coming back. And, you know, everybody – of course, Ruben gets a lot of the, the talk whenever they're talking about our, our team. But, honestly, you know, our offensive line has got a chance to be really good up front. Uh, we've got, I think, five returning starters up there, including the tight end. Uh, some some of the backups got got a lot of playing time, and the offensive line has a chance to be to be really special. You know they're not there yet. We're we, we're still working through football and 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 implementing a new scheme and new offense to them. But they have a chance to be really special. And then skill position wise, you know, Ruben definitely heads that bunch. But there's some other kids on the team that are that are really got a chance to be special too in the backfield and and at receiver and quarterback. And so. We're excited about that. We, uh, I think that our defense will be a good fit here with, with what the kind of kids we have uh, that are athletic and, and aggressive, and they can kind of you know cut them loose and, and let them let them play. And, uh, and and so we're excited about that opportunity. And we've done, had a really good summer. You know, we, we were a little worried coming into the summer about how the kids would respond and we, what participation we would have and attendance and and how hard they'd work in the summer. And Man, it's been great. It's been above and beyond our expectations. And, you know, our linemen won the state championship, state lineman championship a, a few weeks ago in Abilene. Uh, our 7 on 17 qualified for the state 7 on 7 tournament for the first time in five years. And, uh, and so a lot of good things happening with this group of kids. Uh, we just have to keep pushing forward and getting better every day. I've talked a lot about this with, with a lot of coaches. Uh, as we now look ahead, uh, we, you know, COVID is behind us, and we now look ahead to a a a, nor a return to normalcy in 2021 uh, with full stadiums and not having to you know we worry about social distancing and masks and all of those things. You know, keeping our fingers crossed there. But what is it that you're looking forward to the most? I'm sure, and we're not even going to talk about about you know how difficult that was last year for you as a you know as a head coach and trying to navigate through that. What is it that you're looking forward to the most now as we get ready to return to football this fall? <laughs> uh, probably not having to control mask, be on mask patrol daily uh, for coaches and kids alike and full stadiums. You know, those are two things I'm most excited about. Uh, getting, getting, you know, Friday night football is made for the fans. I mean, we're here to, we're, we're here to play. We're playing for the kids and we're coaching, but, it's a community thing, and you know you understand that where, where you're at as well. And and being able to see stadiums full again, and, and bands playing, and 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 just seeing kids be able to be kids is the most exciting thing about returning to, to normal this fall. Absolutely, no doubt. I mean, it's it's um, it's just a it's just a special thing when you can you know, like I said, look up in in, in the in the stands and and see a packed stadium and and see the community get so excited about you know about the season and about your kids and 
and what you have going on. So that is, that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to as well. Well, coach, uh, before we get you out of here today, we got to put you under the gun a little bit, put you under some pressure, ask you some rapid fire questions. You've, uh, you've been in this coaching game for a while. And so, you know, uh, you've been in some big time games. So I don't think this is going to be any problem for you. So uh, what do you say, coach? You ready to go? Let's roll. All right, coach. Well, here is our first question. All right. Now you're, you're, you're from pilot point probably grew up, not probably you grew up playing on grass, but now, uh, it seems like, you know, it's, you, it's probably an anomaly. If you play on, if you coach on a grass field, or if your team plays on a grass field for you personally, what, what would you rather be on or play on turf or grass turf? Okay. Now why turf? Uh, take the, take the rain factor out the mud factor. I played in some games back, uh, early in my coaching career that really turned on the weather and to be able to play on a field that the weather, even though it may be raining at the time or the wind blowing, the actual footing is not going to be a problem. The ball's not going to float away on the field uh, is, uh, is, is definitely uh, my preference. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a plus for sure. Okay. So speaking of stadiums, uh, what is your favorite Texas high school football stadium Besides AT&T, I know you've been there plenty of times. You got to take uh, AT&T out. You got to take, you got to take Riceburg Stadium out. You got to take people, need a place I've coached. That's right. Uh, any other field to go to would probably shot well in Abilene. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Now, I've, I've been there, uh, never coached or played in it, but that's a, that's a, uh, that's a great stadium. The, the Mustang Bowl in Sweetwater is right there. It's like yeah. 1A and 1B maybe, almost a tie, because when you walk into those stadiums, you can feel the history. Like you can read the history and you can feel the history in those places uh, from the little Southwest conference days and, and all the great Sweetwater teams that they had and things like that. So just being in a historical stadium like that is, uh, is, is, is really cool. Yeah. For those same reasons, I, I like uh, the tomato bowl in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, they just redid that and, and got to play there once in high school. And that was, that was really cool. A lot of fun to be in that, you know, it's just an old, uh, it really looks like a, a, an old cathedral or, or church almost from the outside uh, when you walk into that. So that's a, that's a great one as well. But yeah, I've heard, I've never been in the Mustang bowl, heard a lot of great things about that one as, as, as far as just the, the kind of atmosphere that it is, it, it is. Okay. You, you were, you spent a lot of time in the, in the DFW area. Um, tell me your, your, your favorite barbecue spot in the DFW area. And DFW area would be Heim. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. for the original location. Well, I was about to say there's several. There, not several. There's there's more than one location. The original location. I, I've never been there. Heard a lot of good things about it. What's your uh, what's your go to, I guess, meal to get from Heim Barbecue? Man, go to meat would be the pork ribs. Uh, go to side would be the uh, jalapeno mac and cheese. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, you know you're, you're all these schools that you've coached at, and I'm looking at the list. And there are some pretty good mascots in that list. And let's 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 go with the obvious one, the Hamlin Pied Pipers. Um, there may not be another Pied Piper in the country. Uh, you know, when I, was, another, I don't believe there is. I, you know, when I was in when I was in in Kerrville at Tyvee High School, you know, where the antlers and I, I said, guys, hey, there's a lot of tigers, there's a lot of eagles, there's a lot of lions, there's only one Tyvee antler, baby. And that was, you know, that was kind of a right. uh, you know, what what we got behind there, but. Uh, and now you're the Ricebergs at El Campo. So now just think about besides places you've coached, kind of like the stadium thing, your favorite Texas high school mascots. Uh, besides places I've coached, man, I always thought the uh, the winter's blizzards was a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and we played them when I was at Brock uh, for their homecoming one year when we were an independent. And that mascot's actually a little tornado. You know, a little white tornado that runs around, and they play "Walking in a Winter Wonderland" as their as their fight song and stuff, so our school song. So I thought that was always a pretty cool thing. Yeah, yeah, the winter's blizzards, and it's funny because you drive through that town, and it's just a dried up, you know, uh, West Texas town, and and you know that's never seen a blizzard. I'm sure, or at least it's been a while. Well, I'll tell you, coach, too. Uh, we played there on homecoming night. I knew winters that had a lot of tradition with a lot of great coaches coming through there, and you can always tell, you know by town's homecoming, what kind of tradition and what kind of, what kind of, um, uh, you know, history they have. And we show up in Winters, Texas in 2013 as an independent varsity team. We, we didn't even play in the UIL that year. So we played about seven homecoming games that year. And, uh, and 
uh, man, winners, there was more people at the game, I guarantee you, than there was population in that town at night. So it was, a, it was an awesome atmosphere, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Friday night and, and Friday night routines. I ask this question a lot. Uh, when it comes to Friday game day, uh, are you superstitious? And if so, what are some of your superstitions? Uh, you know, I am very superstitious. And uh, it really doesn't go from year to year. It really goes from I'm going to – I like to stay in the same routine. And so our kids that I've coached uh, knows that if, we, if we're if we eating a pregame meal and we're playing well, we're eating the same pregame meal every week. Uh, and we're probably eating – if we go toward, in the same direction, if we played in Abilene for a playoff game, our kids in Brock could have told you what time we're leaving, where we're going to eat our pregame meal, what time we're going to step off the bus. So we're very uh, schedule-oriented people. So, Yeah, and there's just something about – you know, having that schedule and sticking with it. I mean, the kids do well with that. Coaches do it. I mean, it's just, that's, and it just makes you feel better uh, when you're able to do that. So I am with you. I'm not, I would, I don't necessarily count, you know, count myself as being superstitious, but I do enjoy having that same schedule. You know, what's, you know, what, you know, what, you know, what you're expecting and things like that. Something happens and we play well. I expect that to happen every week and the coaches know it. So it's kind of a running joke with the staff that, uh, you know, if a coach in pregame drops a ball as we're walking out and we had an exceptional game, then from then on, he's dropping that ball. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. Well, what's on the uh, the Coach World game day playlist? Uh, maybe as you're on the bus headed to the game or you're in the locker room, uh, do you listen to music? And if so, what's on the what's on the playlist? You know, I, I listen to music, uh, but I let every kid wear their ear pods. We don't do anything out over the speakers. We got every kid because musical tastes are so different. But for me, it's it's probably Pat Green and Robert Earl Keane and uh, some type of older Texas country, Jack Ingram and Cross Canadian Ragweed type stuff going on on my playlist on that deal. If I'm at home, I actually watch Lonesome Dove before the game uh, and go through the start off with season one and work myself my way through all the way through the end uh, by about week week eight or nine. And then if, if I finish it, then I start over. So. <laughs> Lonesome Dove. That was actually brought up in, in, in our in our uh, our strength and conditioning camp today. So, uh, yeah, Lonesome Dove is a solid choice as far as westerns go for sure. Okay, uh, we'll get you out of here on this one, Coach. So I already mentioned uh, th- this this podcast is going to publish during uh, during coaching school uh, in in San Antonio. We're back after after a one year hiatus thanks to COVID. So, uh, what's your what's your favorite part about coaching school? I'm sure you've been several times. What's your favorite part about going to coaching school? You know, the best part about that is just seeing the amount of coaches that show up that in our state, you know, that, that the volume of coaches that show up for our coaching school and, 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 and go to the lectures and go through the, uh, uh, the exhibit hall and, and, and getting to see coaches that honestly, you know, you don't get to see maybe, but once a year at coaching school, maybe they're not in your district or maybe they're not in, even in your area to where you see them at track meets or, or whatever. And, be able to fellowship with those guys. And, you know, I always I, I tell tell this all the time, you know, I mean, I know I have probably made enemies in this profession, but I feel like I've made a lot more brothers. I mean, the coaching's a brotherhood. And uh man, I've had I've had some some serious, you know, coaching duels with certain guys and then hired them on my staff. And they've been, you know, one of my best friends and 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 best assistants that I've ever had. So Going and be able to spend time with the rest of the coaches in the state of Texas is, is definitely my favorite part. Yeah, that's that that is for sure one thing that I'm looking forward to, and one thing that I love about it is is uh, being able to connect with those guys that you know, especially now with coaches being on Twitter and things that you you, know, you maybe you maybe communicate with them over Twitter or, or through email or over the phone, but then to be able to see them face to face and and catch up and talk some football and and uh, just hang out is is a is a huge plus for sure. Well, Coach Worrell, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some wisdom uh, about being a head coach and the challenges and building a program and all that goes into that. And we want to wish you and the uh, the El Campo Rice Birds the best of luck in the 2021 season. Coach, I appreciate it. And it's uh, I've been an honor and, and enjoyed the visit. I really appreciate Coach Worrell for joining us today. Go follow Coach on Twitter at Coach underscore Worrell. That's at coach underscore W-O-R-R-E-L-L. Let him know you heard him here on KYPD. And if you see him around on the uh, uh, at coaching school, maybe in the exhibit hall somewhere, uh, catching a uh, catching a breakout session, make sure you, uh, you talk to him and let him know you heard him here on KYPD and you appreciate him joining us. 
If you haven't already done so, make sure you follow us on Twitter as well at KYPD Podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, and I know we have some fans out there because I get these emails and DMs from you guys who are tuning in each week, and I love those. Uh, those literally make my week uh, and make this thing uh, so much easier to do. Uh, if you're liking what you're hearing from the podcast, then please give us a five-star rating. Leave us a glowing review and help us spread the word about what we got going on here with our podcast. Our quote of the day comes from coaches. Uh, our quote of the day comes from one of coaches' favorite pregame movies that he referenced in our in our conversation today, and that is Lonesome Dove. And it goes like this: If you want any one thing too badly, it's likely to turn out to be a disappointment. The only healthy way to live is to learn. The only healthy way to live is to learn to like all the little everyday things, like a sip of good whiskey in the evening, a soft bed, a glass of buttermilk, or a feisty gentleman like myself. All right, and that will do it for this episode of KYPD. Be sure to subscribe today so you never miss an episode and join us right back here next week for episode 115. Until then, make it a great week. Keep pushing forward and get better every day. And of course, always remember, keep your pads down.